Mr. Fox, if it's not the elusive Mr. Fox. No, it is. And I started out with a knock-knock joke and you refused me, so I'm going to try again. Knock-knock. Knock-knock, you're coming through the wrong speakers. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Just let me know we can now you're coming again. through the right speakers. All right. Now, now will it work? It will work now, yes. Knock-knock. Who's there? Will. Will who? Well, hello, darling. How are you? It's been for ages. It's been forever. Well, that really hello, Scott. That really wasn't worth the effort, was it? <laughs> oh, my God, I hate you. <laughs> you know, I, I thought I had always been under the impression that absence makes the heart grow fonder, but in fact, with absence, you know, becomes, you know, a habit of, of enjoying life without your favorite. Yeah. You know. In our house, we say absence is bliss. Yeah, something like that. So, anyway, John, since since we last spoke, you've been you've been traveling the world, being the international superstar that, that you are. Um, uh, so, uh, do you have anything exciting to share with us from your your weeks of travel? Um, I mean, personally, yes. I mean, it was a, a lovely time. I got to to, to go to Paris and, and see some friends and family, and then. Uh, I went to uh, Rome and visited the Netflix office in Rome, which was fun. I took the, the foul child and his Roman cousin, and they were basically, you know, mouth mouth open um, because it being August, we were essentially the only people there. Everybody in Europe is on vacation, certainly in France and 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 Rome, um, Paris rather. Uh, anyway, uh, and uh, then went to a wedding in Cremona, which I did not realize until I was after there is the home of Stradivarius violins, which is pretty nice, and it was that was all lovely. Uh, and then came back to uh, install the foul child at co- in college. So now he is uh, starting classes on Friday and is all set up in his dorm. And uh, I suppose it will not have hit me until after I'm back in San Francisco about uh, what it's like to, to, to be an empty nester. But in the meantime, I am um, absolutely thrilled for him um, because I remember what it was like to, to, to go to university and be around really smart people and, and feel like you have endless possibilities for lighting up your brain and heart. So... That's on the personal side. Um, on work side, I've been working out of the, the office here in New York. And uh, Scotty, did you know that when you go away for a couple of weeks, it takes like <laughs> more than 15 minutes to get back in the groove of things? Have you ever had that experience? John, I sit at my desk after a vacation and I'm immediately at full pace. And no, it yeah. takes me days and days, probably as long as I've been away to get back into it almost. <laughs> Uh, thank you for saying that. You know, in a rare, uh, <laughs> in a rare thing of of thank you for being honest and supportive, use instead of your your treacherous <laughs> ways of cutting me down. Um, because I was beginning to lose my mind a little. It's like, oh my god, I can't get anything to work. And then yeah, I think that what you realize is that you know. Plenty of code gets changed if you're on a weekly cadence, and and branches are cut, and and, and changes are made, and and you know you, you things get removed from the repository, shifted around. So it's never just like okay, let me just do a git pull and build. Sometimes you have to kind of do some cleans and 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 reset packages and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, just to get things to compile properly is good. And then to kind of get back and get all the changes merged into my long running branches to kind of catch that up. 
Um, that took a little while. And then I was, I had been working on something um, kind of as a side project. It's a, a bit of research um, because oftentimes I find that if I'm working on some brand new part, uh, you know, a brand new canvas, some something new, um, oftentimes some of the technical investment can, can, can work in other contexts. I know that's completely vague, but but so be it. <laughs> so I, I did some of that. So I'd had some ideas about something we could do and I want to start trying them. But in order to try them, uh, I was stymied yesterday because there was a bug. Somebody, somebody committed a bug, which we've all done kind of, uh, and they didn't realize it until kind of after they left <laughs> for two weeks. And it took me a little while with somebody else to kind of figure out where the change was because, you know, as is often the case, you kind of say, okay, well, look for changes in the canvas where you were um, because I handed something off uh, to somebody else. Um, and no, none of the changes they had made were the responsible thing. In the end, uh, they did discover where the, where the change was. Um, and in the end, it was, you know, essentially a typo. <laughs> And uh, who knew that uh, if you if you package data responses up using keys, uh, you have to maintain expectations between what the response will be and what the client is expecting to decode, and and that's kind of you know uh, another kind of reminder of like well-defined schemas save yourself from this this thing. But this was a, a part of our our services that had not yet. Um, uh, been converted to GraphQL, which requires, you know, agreed upon schema between client and server because there is a single schema and, and you code gen on both sides. So um, that's what uh, coming back was like. And I, I was, was, as I said, was kind of beginning to lose it until finally sometime before I left for the day around 730, um, which normally would think is, is late, but not if you're dealing with people on the West Coast. Um, and then I said, all right, fine, it's the end of the day. I kind of I made it through day two of being back, and uh, I will stop beating myself up. So that's how my return was. What say you, Scotty? I say, John, if you, uh, yeah, when you sort of like have vacations, work on long-running branches, work in different parts of the world in different time zones, basically you deserve everything you get, really. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. You could like that. That's what you get for leaving in the first place. You could make your um. You could make your uh, life easier. Um. Yeah. No. It's uh, this. You're saying long running, long running branches, long running and future changes are in a very active code base. I know this is only a little bit of what you were talking about, but it's a bit mm -hmm. I picked up on. Nearly is. It's just a bit of a nightmare, particularly when you're in an environment where the main branch underneath is getting committed to a lot of the time and it's just like mm -hmm. constantly trying to make sure that you're rebasing or remerging right. or up to date yeah. and, and if you do that sort of like daily or every couple of days then it tends to work and then if you go away for a few weeks um yes. and it comes back that that's sort of like oh how many how many merge errors are there that i now have to sort out from a whole bunch of stuff that just oh, i don't know why it's there and it does make me cringe quite a lot um, yeah. And it's always in really stupid files. It's always in files that, like, you know, it's always the project file or the change log or something that, you know, it's, oh, yeah. I mean, as I said before, we don't keep our Xcode project file in, in uh, source code at all. We we generate it all the time. So it's never, uh, we use a source code structure um, to determine what target, what code goes in what targets. And then every time you check out code, you, regenerate 
the project file and then we're never having project file clashes. So that is quite nice. So we actually very rarely get clashes on Manuel, but lots of client projects, constant clashing all the time. Yeah. You're very brave to do that. I mean, I know that, that you, I can't remember which, uh, who had done that project, but I, sometimes I wonder if, if that would be a smart thing to do. I mean, truth be told, the, the merging problems I have this time, fortunately, weren't uh, Xcode uh, project files, but there's, you know, you've got a long running code base that you're always having to trim things and you bring new people on the team. A lot of times you take advantage of somebody's newness to be able to say, you know what, we have a suspicion that this code for supporting 30 pin output yeah. <laughs> connectors is probably not needed anymore. And uh, here, you, here's a, a way for you to kind of, uh, uh, what's the word, baptism by fire into the code base, remove it and start seeing what happens. Um, and so it's, 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 it's things of that nature. There's been a lot of cleanup. And, and as I'd said earlier, you know, the making the transition completely to GraphQL, um, it takes time. And when you have an active code base and an active product, you can't just like, you know, day zero switch from one to the other. It's, it's, it's a tricky thing. Um, you know, there is this phrase Roman writing, which I had not known before I joined Netflix. Uh, that describes when you have to have two systems. And, and I, I, I don't know where it comes from, but I just saw kind of like gladiator movies or something where you have a centurion who's like on two chariots, one on each thing. And they just hope that the chariots don't go in different directions and <laughs> cause you to split your legs open. Keep going straight. Keep going straight. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, and then it, finally, I guess the idea is that you go next to the cliff and the one on the on the cliff side, you give one final shove and hope that you're not tied to it accidentally and go over it while the horses get confused <laughs> anyway i think it's uh, i mean merge conflicts are, are part of life when you deal with them and i think yeah when it's source code you know they need to be looked at and they normally they're normally pretty simple to work out you know if they're not then you've got a little bit of work to say i think the main problem with things like the Xcode project and zips or storyboards, if mm. you use those, is they're not really very mergeable if they're broken. I mean, it's it, it's if if you know if someone's added a file and you've added a file, then you know that's fine because you can now both just accept both changes or whatever. But if you've been away for two weeks and you've got like so many changes in there, and you're working on a branch that's got a lot of changes in it as well, then that becomes a complete nightmare. Which is why yeah. Just generating the Xcode project file um, using a tool is good. And again, I, this is a reason that a lot of people you know, don't use storyboards or don't use zibs. I mean, you know, there are other reasons. People, some people, talk about performance and other things. But equally, from a from a um, if you're on a project with lots and lots of developers, then zibs and storyboards become a complete pain, particularly as Every time you even open one in Xcode, it makes changes yeah, which then appear in source control. Yeah. And yeah. even though lots of people are, you know, quite um, diligent at going through and saying, okay, that really shouldn't be being committed, that shouldn't be committed. Not everybody is. And you can often end up with lots of commits on storyboards or zibs that, you know, don't actually do anything, but now cause you merge conflicts in other places because it's happened with multiple people. Um, and, you know, so that's, if, if you ask me why not to use storyboards or zips, I would say that almost that's the biggest argument to not do it. But there we are. Indeed. Um, what else was going to say? Oh, I, there's something else that was kind of interesting. So while I was gone, there was um, 
uh, something called a diary study done, um, and that's where we give software to people for them to try, and uh, they kind of record their impressions, so that's why they call it a diary study, but it's largely because they're, it's recording their screens and recording them, so it, it's, it's an interesting way of doing consumer testing, um, which I'd, I'd never seen this software before. It's called Watch Me Think. It was really impressive because it basically, you know, when you're doing consumer testing, you invite people into a lab. It's not a very natural setting. I mean, you, there, there's all sorts of efforts to try to make it so, like, you know, having a comfy couch. But it's not yours. You know, it's not, it's not the actual environment. And this is testing something that I've been working on. It was, it's the project that, that took me to Singapore a couple of months ago. Um, and it was very interesting to, to see people's reaction to, to using this in their homes where that you, you know, other things, surprise, surprise, you make software for a global audience. The usage patterns in one country could be surprisingly different from others in ways that you just never would have imagined. Um, so that was, was utterly cool. That's kind of a, about as far as I can go, but it was, it was truly interesting to see that. And it, it's a theme that, that, you know, I remember back in the indie days when you would go to conferences and they would say, you know, the number one thing to do when you're making software is just hand it to somebody, shut up and observe. And so this was kind of like that. It's just at a slightly larger scale and you get to kind of remotely observe them after the fact. Um, and it was it was funny. So in the meeting yesterday, we were looking at the video and discussing it. And there were times when I was thinking, "All right, oh my god, it great, it's worked, it's worked great." And then heartbreak when 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 kind of uh, the users went down a completely different path, um, which we understood was possible to do from having looked at, at what happened, and, and that was kind of the path that we were hoping they wouldn't go down, but they did. Um, and all that was super uh, super helpful. But it's 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 kind of a reminder that I, I do have to say I do enjoy working on a company at a company on a product where where we're able to avail ourselves of these type of, of tools because you know it's fundamentally the same thing whether you're an indie or working at a large company it's just that you know sometimes it's a little bit easier to do it with when you have more resources um, and I became very mindful of that and grateful for it. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I think we all make the mistake, don't we, of even though we know it's not true, even though we intellectually understand it's not the way, we all subconsciously behave like everybody uses their devices exactly the same way we do. Which is why testing your own work is really difficult, because you will use it in the way you designed the work to be done. Even though you'll try hard not to, you will always end up being sort of like drawn to that path. Yeah, everybody uses their their devices, be it their phones, their iPads, um, uh, in, in totally different ways. I mean, I'm reminded of that every you know, every time I pick up my wife's phone for some reason because she asks for something, you know, and I see the you know, you have you know. 4,236 unread emails. It's like, what? No, how can you live in this environment? I mean, I get frustrated if it says three <laughs> and I have, I have I to won't. go and look at them to make sure it's fine. Whereas, you know, I wonder, you wonder why you miss email when, you know, there's 4,000. Because, no, I know which ones have just come in. And it's like, no, you don't. You don't. <laughs> and it's like, we, we, we bicker about this a lot. But it's, it just means that she has a totally different attitude to the way she uses her phone, so I do. Um, and in, in that way and I'm, i suspect the way she uses apps what she expects from an app how she expects an app to work um when she goes into something how she thinks she's going to find something it's all going to be really different and unless you get real world feedback on that um 
And I think particularly in, in small companies like ours, where there really just aren't many of us, I mean, in a bigger company, at least you can just say to everybody, use this for the weekend. And then, you know, everyone comes back with their comments because 30 different people have used it differently. Whereas if there's just two of you or one of you, you know, you don't get that. So this, the, you know, having that um, experience of people just taking something, using it, and particularly if they're not engineers and not in the company, you know, th- there must be massive value in that. Yeah. I, you know, I'm just reminded here, I just made a screenshot so I could remember hopefully to send it to you. I won't tell you that uh, the number of unread emails I see on my phone, but it's uh, a six-digit number. <laughs> <laughs> Is this some sort of goal you're looking for, some sort of life goal? <laughs> well, I... I mean, you, you get to a point of no return where you basically say, like, it's, it's, it would be very difficult on your phone to be able to remove, to, to select them all and, and mark them as unread or just mass delete. And honestly, it, it, part of the reason why it's that big is that, it, it, you know, I have on my phone in the mail app connections to pretty much every mail box I've used, uh, you know, in, in the last... <laughs> Many many years, dating back to, to to you know working on Memory Miner and and and, and all my original Apple emails to which I've you know which I've used when subscribing to the developer mailing list, and of course there are tons and tons and tons of those. Um, but it does actually bring up a point because you know similarly you know I, I'm pretty active user of YouTube, and there's like 400 notifications there, and the badges basically you know it it is actually completely relevant to what I was talking about earlier that um, you're trying to get. And, you know, a user's attention to introduce something new. And there's very, very few ways you can possibly do that these days in the app itself. You know, a big lesson that I've learned um, is that when people sit down to use their app, if they're regular users, oftentimes they have very well-worn paths, which especially for like a service like Netflix, where people, you know, uh, if they're sitting down to watch TV, whether it's on a TV or on an iPad or on a phone or something like that's what they want to do. And anything that kind of pushes them off the, 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 the execution path uh, is considered really disturbing. So like putting up a notification while it's there or putting up a screen saying, hey, we're here. It's just like people just will swipe it away. I, I, you know, as a developer, you don't think that you go through and you kind of say, of course, people are going to see that. But, you know, you have to keep reminding yourself about how completely artificial uh, it is to to try and get a sense of how features work for end users when you're launching Xcode, launching the app, and all your attention is, is on the screen there. Um, and so you, of course, are looking at it from that way. And, and what you really kind of have to do is, you know, use the app on your carry device or your, your work device or whatever and try and put yourself in the mindset of somebody who, who's using it and not programming it. And that's, you know, oftentimes easier said than done. So you kind of have to get it working. But once you have it working, you yourself cannot kind of I- interface with it in the way that a regular user would because you already know how it's supposed to work. And so you kind of, you want to satisfy your own desire to, to see the happy path go away. And if you're doing testing, you might kind of do the monkey testing where you just kind of like tap and, and swipe and do those things, try to see, can you can you crash it? But you yourself as somebody who's writing it will never, ever, ever, ever be able to, to exercise it in the way that an actual end user does. Um, and that's a lesson that I was uh, remembering. Another thing. Yeah, so can I, I just, can I just, but, sorry, can I just yeah, put in, because there's a couple of things there. Firstly, you know, that is quite device dependent as well. So, for example, mm-hmm. just using myself as an example, if I'm using an app on my phone, it's usually, my interaction with my phone is usually 
in out, you know, or as quick. I've got two minutes. I've got one minute. I want mm-hmm. to do something. So yeah, you you put something up to get in my way on my phone, and it's not getting read. It's getting dismissed. It's getting okay pressed. Right. It's getting whatever yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you know, if I'm sitting down to watch TV, that might be different, or I'm using my iPad or whatever else. So I think you know the, the device in the context in which it's being used. Yet often we're writing these apps to be similar across multiple platforms, and we don't necessarily take into consideration that the same message from the same app is going to be responded to differently on different platforms because they're probably being used in different situations. And the other thing I was going to say is one thing we have definitely learned, you know, is, is over the years of software is people don't read. Even when they think they're reading, they don't read. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Absolutely. We were talking this morning about yeah. adjusting one of our support articles because, you know, someone will, bring, someone will write in and they'll say, how can I? And you... You send them straight a link to the support article. It's a regular question. You said, here's here's the way to do it. And you, you can always guarantee that a certain percentage will come back and say, oh, I don't see that button. And, you know, it says, you know, step two says press the button. Step one says do this. <laughs> you can guarantee no one's read step one. You know, so saying, yeah, yeah, what totally. do we do? Make it bold, five times bigger, <laughs> whatever else. People just don't read. Well, I mean, and, and on that point, I mean, you know, when you're walking about in a city, have you ever noticed that, especially if you are commuting and you are going, you know, from your house to a metro station or a bus stop or subway or, or whatever to a bike rack, um, people tend to follow regular paths because they time things. Like, I know that if I take this exact path, I'll get there in three minutes and I want my extra half second of sleep or I need to have another sip of coffee or whatever. But because of that that kind of fact of life, then you only see things right in front of you. And then if for whatever reason you take a slightly different path and you see something on the other side of the street, it's like, oh my God, I had no idea. It's like I'm visiting a completely different city. And I even remember being in Seattle and and noticing, you know, that there were Starbucks on two sides, directly on opposite sides of the street. And I was like, how could this fucking possibly be? Uh, you know, and, and I was asking somebody and they said, if it's on the other side of the street, it may as well be invisible to people. And that kind of, that made sense. And I, I held on to that idea, even as concerns user interfaces, like something that, that you know, people are looking, are, are used to looking within a very small, you know, frame. And if it's outside that frame, it may as well, it just may as well not exist. And you can never, ever see that it, 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 until you observe somebody else, either because you're lucky enough to be over their shoulder observing them or, you know, after the fact with some type of observation thing. Um, the second thing I wanted to point out before it drops off of my stack is haptic feedback. Um, so this project I've been working on, it's being done on TV and Android and iOS and, uh, we're using haptic feedback for, for, for a number of reasons. And it's like one of those things, it's almost like salting food. It's like if it has none, there's no savor. And if you can add it a certain amount, it makes the other flavors pop. And then you can just add one pinch too much and it becomes too salty and, and it, it ruins the dish. Well, I think the same thing with haptic. You can have just the right amount and determining that right amount can be tricky, and it also it, it will slightly vary from person to person. But um, this project that I worked on, I was very proud of it. The haptic feedback that, that in in this canvas, and and it felt good to me and to, to designers, and we were like, going, this is great." And it was implemented on Android, and then it goes out in the test, and like saying, "It's like, oh, I missed I missed the tactile feel." 
And we were like, but there's haptics in there. It's like, why is, is haptic on Android not the same or something? But then uh, I was told and had not known this, that uh, that is a very personal setting on Android. Um, and so you have to actually explicitly ask for it to be turned on. And I'm not certain why, I mean, if I were to guess, maybe it has to do with, with battery life or something like that. That Generally speaking, Android phones tend to have as many, you know, many things turned off that, that uh, an iPhone tends to have turned on, whether it's kind of faster animations or um, screensaver kind of uh, not going on right away or haptic feedback. And I think that has to do with it, that, that you know, the, the average, the, the lowest end iPhone uh, tends to have more battery power, more processing power than, than, than all but the, the you know, equivalent high-end and, uh, Android devices. Um, and, then, and then the average Android device is kind of like is super um, uh, constrained by comparison and very parsimonious with, with data access and, and battery life and so on and so forth. So, you know, there is another example of where you have an impression about how things work you know, based on your developing something and sitting aside an office in Silicon Valley, and then you send it out to people in other parts of the world, and they're like, I didn't feel anything. And then you kind of have to feel like, okay, well, and how do you tell people, hey, you can have haptic on this <laughs> if they don't already know? And it's like, it's the, it, it is definitely the, the, the death by a thousand cuts if you're trying to deliver a, an experience. And I've now, and I will shut up after saying this, but I've now developed a much greater appreciation of how hard it is to develop a, you know, deliver a consistent user experience across two platforms that are quite different. And that's whether it's like Adobe on the desktop with, with, with their creative suite between Mac and Windows or, you know, say Instagram trying to make something work consistently across Android and iOS devices. There's my two rod. And a very interesting one was too. Yeah, the, yeah, again developing across multi i mean when i said multi-platform earlier i was talking you know tv tvos ios whatever else but you all have masses of common feel once you move into like you know windows android it's like okay mm-hmm. and if for <clears throat> yeah i have to be honest cause i don't know where netflix fit into this because i don't have netflix on an android device or anything at the moment you know it, it, there seems to be this thing Often with many companies where you know, they want the app to be the same on all devices. Um, and for that, they often sacrifice the nativeness of, of what's going on for that, which then just feels alien to people. Um, and although, of course, these days there's so many apps that sacrifice the nativeness. Maybe that feels like the norm and native feels alien. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, the reality is how many people really own an iPhone and an Android app and an Android phone that they're going to notice that your apps are exactly the yeah, same. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's a, a bit silly. But, yeah, designers are designers. They like to they like their um, to do the things they like to do, don't they? So That is true. Well, that's yeah. a whole long discussion. I mean, we, I think companies, if they're smart, tend to develop a visual language, which is consistent, but they don't kind of sacrifice the native. I mean, like on Android, you cannot ship an android app that doesn't take into consideration the fact that there's a hardware back button you know using and i still have a hard time getting used to it It feels like you know you use an android app and it's like the app is not really an app that takes over the full screen of the glass it's like it's a browser (laughs) with a back button in there and you have to take into consideration that um Scotty, if I may, there's something else which I had meant to, to, to talk about to, to kind of uh, pour one out for a titan of, of desktop computing. Uh, and that was John Warnock, who passed away uh, recently-ish. I guess maybe it was two weeks ago, but we were definitely off. Um, but I, you know who he is. You know what Adobe is, right? I know what Adobe is, yes. 
Yeah, so I mean, this is super interesting. Uh, I mean, because Adobe was one of a handful of companies that spun out of a Xerox Park. And I remember hearing him talk about the, those days. And for, and for the young ones who were not there, like there was a company, there still is a company called Xerox, and their Palo Alto Research Center or Park is, is was a research center that was an outpost for a company that otherwise was in upstate New York. And how and when they went to Palo Alto is its own story, but it was like they would come up with these amazing research and then back home. The companies didn't know what to do with it, you know, and and I, I should probably find some articles, but, you know, the, all the things that we take advantage, graphical user interface, object-oriented programming, networking, and scalable vector type and, and layout all came out of there. And multiple companies were created, one of which was Adobe. And and the way it worked is, is you know, there was this research and development to create, you know, vector vector descriptions of type of type and and illustrations and how you could you know create a page description language which is what postscript was which is what made the laser writer possible which is what made desktop you know publishing possible and what made the macintosh take off and that is very personal to me because that's what lit up my brain back when i was in college and started me on this whole you know path to to to, to eventually becoming a software engineer but he had said in this talk that I did is like they had all this technology. They knew that 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 the company Xerox was not really going to do anything. They wanted to spin out their own company, and then because it would have the feel of a kind of an academic research lab, um, you could publish the paper. And if you publish the specification, you publish the paper. It's like I've invented this thing, and now I've published the specification. It then becomes part of the open, you know, it becomes open source effectively even before it was called that. Part of the public domain. That's what I was looking for. And then you could launch a company for it. And that's in fact what 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 made adobe you know they they postscript was an open standard and you could you know create your own implementation of postscript it just happened to be really difficult and they were there early enough to be able to say well you could have adobe postscript or you could have brand x postscript and we're going to keep developing it and extending it and and um it was a very interesting you know technique for doing it but um, it really was the the end of an era, and and I can assure the the young folks listening that you know although people obviously plenty of people have heard of Adobe and are certainly familiar with PDF, they may not be familiar with Adobe Illustrator or, or InDesign or you know Adobe Type Manager and all these other things that 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 were the lingua franca lingua franca how you pronounce it of of computing on the desktop uh, in the Macintosh era when it was getting started. So um, rest in peace, John Warnock. Indeed, indeed, it's uh, it's quite strange, isn't it, that we are we are reaching, you know, the the time now we're not far off where even though they were very young, mainly guys at the time, but you know, guys and girls, um, uh, you know, at the time that the the first generation of what we would call modern computing people is almost all gone. Yeah, totally. And then John, that second oh, well, generation, that second generation, i.e., us, won't be far behind. <laughs> exactly, and 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 I can guarantee you, I will not have done anything in computing nearly as uh, impactful John, as, John, as, as one day, One day, someone will be on a podcast that nobody listens to, saying, "Have you heard that John Fox, you know, <laughs> the famous the, for memory the... minor and and doing all that annoying stuff in the Netflix app, is 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 <laughs> gone on to the uh, uh, the great." Garbage collection in the sky. <laughs> it's been garbage collected. It's like momentarily, the, <laughs> the, the world shook as the garbage collection was interrupting the main thread <laughs> yeah. of life. Something like that. 
<laughs> oh, talking about interrupting the main thread of life, we've probably interrupted people's main thread for long enough. So, um, yeah. John, if people wish to uh, to uh, get in touch with you and, and tell you how valuable you are to their history of computing, how should they do that? Uh, well, you can find me on Mastodon as Jembe at mastodon.social, and that's Jembe, D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Or you can find me on threads where I'm John Fox. And Scotty, if people want to remind you that you are um, a, 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 a titan of, of East Bollockshire um, <laughs> computing universe, how may they do that? <laughs> Uh, they may do that also on Mastodon, where I am Scotty at developer.social, <laughs> where you can send me any of your Titan references that you wish. <laughs> well, John, it's been good to catch up with you after a few weeks. Uh, I think we, um, we we may get a couple of weeks in now before uh, we some travelling go on again, but it might be a bit iffy over the next few weeks. But um, then again, people like the unpredictability of the episode appearing in their feed. Um, I think they like the predictability or the unpredictability. They like the, they, they like the idea that it may not appear. <laughs> we put it that it way. Be them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but there we go. Uh, right. Okay, well, if it's your turn to listen this week, I'm sorry that you you drew the short straw and an episode did appear. Uh, but thanks for listening. And until next time. You take care. Thank you.